When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. We've officially reached the end of season four, and I just want to take the time to say a wholehearted thank you for being here. None of this is possible without you, and it means the absolute world to me that you give me your time. At the end of each season, I do a little top 10 recap of episodes that I want to make sure get heard from the season. I podcast five days a week, so a lot get lost, and that's what we're going to do today. So if you have been joining me this year and haven't already left a rating or review in iTunes or Spotify, that would mean the world to me. It's how we get the podcast to new amazing listeners just like you. But for now, happy holidays, friends. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you for season five. Well, first of all, welcome back to the podcast. You know, I hope the week is treating you well. I hope you're doing all right. I got home this morning around 10 a.m. It has been quite the day. I was in D.C. this morning. I woke up at 2 a.m., which is a little bit wild. I just... I had a 6 a.m. flight. I accidentally booked out of, like, I booked in to D.C., but I accidentally booked out of, not Birmingham, Baltimore. And so it was a little bit of a drive, like a 40-minute drive to the airport this morning. And I needed to be there at, like, 4.20. And so I just kind of backtracked. And and it had me up at 2 a.m. to get a shower and, and all that good stuff. So it's been a day. Um, it's weird for it to be like I'm recording this at noon and it's weird for this to have I've been awake for 10 hours Um, that's like abnormal but it's weird it's been a strange it's been a strange one but I've really enjoyed it honestly I love a travel day Um, I also have a theory that we don't feel tired the day that we lack sleep I think it's the next day you know, like I, that's my theory. It's like today I'm like flying high and tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to really feel it. <laughs> but for today, I'm like, yeah, let's knock some stuff out. Let's let's be here. Um, Yeah, I'm really happy to be home. I had a great time in D.C. I love D.C. I loved working with my client there. It was such a good trip. I stayed at a hotel that I really liked. It was just overall just a perfect experience. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I'm happy to be home, happy to see my babes, um, happy to be a little bit more steady for a few weeks, like a week and a half. And that feels really nice. But let's get into today's conversation. So today I wanted to talk about liberating ourselves. Um more so about personal liberation through the lens of the Enneagram. I think often we get caught up in typology, right? We focus on how our Enneagram type explains our behavior. Like, this is who I am. This explains everything that I ever think and everything that I do, which I think is a really nice 
experience, but at the same time, we that can cause us to lose sight of the fact that our Enneagram type isn't meant to drive our behavior. So understanding that it is intended to allow us to choose different patterns, like understanding it, the goal through understanding is to be able to choose how we show up, right? Like not have to be stuck in the same patterns or the same mechanisms that we've always used, we can kind of choose a new way. So I hope that today's episode is kind of like a tough love invitation into choosing something else for a minute. So if you think about the Enneagram as who you think you have to be, right? I talk about this in the Enneagram letters, my latest book and about how it feels like, you know, this is who I have to be, whether that is to belong right? I have to be this kind of person or I'm going to be ostracized or I have to be like this in order to be loved or to earn my place or even to survive or resist a threat. Like if I'm not like this, someone's going to take advantage of me. Um, someone's going to push, push me over, you know, walk all over me. So depending on our fixation, we could choose this kind of repetitive pattern of behavior that ultimately is our Enneagram type based off of survival or belonging. So when we think of it like that, right, this is who I think I have to be. This is who I learned I have to be. Then it becomes much more clear that it's not intended to be who we are or how we walk through the world forever, right? Like when things are safe or when we feel open, when all is well, when we use these coping skills, it often creates problems instead of solving them. So this could be a whole series, honestly, because I just want to do one per type. I don't want to go through all of the different elements of the Enneagram for each type. So if you want me to do more of these, just let me know. But today we're just going to do one. Uh, and if you want me to do another one, just let me know on Instagram and we'll, we'll do it again. So for type one... When I thought of liberation, I thought of like going from one thought pattern to another way of being. So for type one, moving from being the only adult in the room to allowing pleasure for pleasure's sake. So what do I mean by this? So oftentimes type ones either find themselves being the only adult in the room, right? A lot of times Type ones had to grow up really fast. Maybe they were parentified. Maybe they created their own rules and structure because there was a lack of rules and structure in their home. Maybe they were only loved if they were perfect. So they learned if I'm gonna belong, I need to be perfect. So in this space, oftentimes, right, when that's perpetuated, when we don't break that cycle into adulthood, we start to show up from the place of, I have to take care of this. I have to be the responsible one. I have to make sure that everything is getting done the way it's supposed to get done, that we're doing things the right way, and that can leave you feeling like you're the only adult in the room. Now, here's where that gets really tricky, right? Like we talked about when it's not something you actually need, right? When you're just doing it because you're supposed to do it or this is the pattern you know, then you might find yourself in situations where you feel like the only adult in the room when you're not. When maybe everybody has a different definition of what responsibility means, it just might not be the one that you have. And so then you kind of might feel resentful or frustrated with people who don't feel as restricted or confined to the rules and structures that you feel restricted and confined to. 
or they're not holding themselves to as high of a standard as you are holding yourself to. And maybe in that situation, the work isn't for them to hold themselves to a higher standard, but for you to lower your standard so that you can have more fun. That being said, that's why I'm saying like move to allowing pleasure for pleasure's sake. A lot of times from the external, we experience type ones as being really self-controlled, not having a lot of vices. You know, maybe we perceive them as being not very like pleasure focused, but oftentimes for the one, it doesn't feel that way inside, right? Inside they feel like they're consumed with like thoughts of pleasure, like what they would really like to be doing, and they have to be constantly stuffing it down and resisting it and in kind of relationship to suppressing that desire for pleasure because pleasure isn't, is frivolous or it's not the most important thing or it's not urgent or it's maybe childlike. And so I just want to encourage our type ones, right, as we start to expand who we get to be in the world to allow more room and space for pleasure. And I and pleasure is kind of a triggering word sometimes. Um, depending on, you know, where you're at in your type one journey, the word pleasure can feel kind of dirty or bad or wrong. Um, and so I'm using it intentionally, uh, sorry, <laughs> as a word to kind of spice you up a little bit and be like, yeah, like, you can take that as far as you want to take that because you can trust yourself to know the limit of when that is gone too far because you're typically on the side of limiting so much. Now, I'm not saying that type ones don't ever experience pleasure or they don't ever allow pleasure, but they do tend to have the fixation of moderating pleasure. And I know you know when it feels like to kind of let yourself go and I want to just kind of encourage you to do that more. And even when you start noticing the thought pattern of like, why am I the only one who cares about this? Why am I the only one who's responsible here to go, whoa, what am, where could I be having more pleasure? Where could I be having more fun? Where am I limiting myself right now? Okay, type two. I want you to move from, or mm, I don't want to say I want you to. What if we consider moving from if they loved me, they would to if I loved myself, I would. Meaning a lot of times what our type twos do is they give the love they want to receive and then they wonder why no one is giving them the love they want to receive. And they're kind of looking around going like, I'm perceiving your needs and anticipating them. Why are you not anticipating the needs that I have for myself? Or I always throw you a big birthday party. Why don't you throw me a big birthday party? And what's interesting about this as well is that there's kind of a fear of being selfish, a fear of being greedy there. And so you might not even, you might even say the opposite of what you want. Like, oh, don't do, don't make a big fuss about my birthday. It's fine. I don't need anything. But really you're hoping secretly in your heart that they'll make a really big deal of it. And so when you catch yourself kind of in this pattern thinking, well, if they loved, like kind of testing someone in your life, well, if they loved me, then they'd do what I want them to do. If they loved me, they'd, you know, anticipate my needs. If they loved me, they would pay for dinner or whatever it is. Um, when you start to catch that thought pattern in that repetitive cycle, catch yourself and instead go, if I love myself, I would blank. So then you can kind of go from 
kind of a fixation on what other people should or should not do and focus instead on what you can actually control, which is yourself. So then you can go from, if they love me, they would throw me a big birthday party and move to, if I loved myself, I would communicate that I want a really big birthday party or I would throw myself a big birthday party. Um, If they loved me, they would hug me right now. If I loved myself, I would ask for a hug right now. If I love myself, I would give myself some loving touch right now. So you can move from this kind of fixation on what other people should be doing for you and move into what you could be doing for yourself. Um, And this is an invitation into like this like beautiful level of self-reliance and self-love that is puts other people in the place of being a bonus right? It allows them to be extra good in your life, but it doesn't make them the source of the love that you're hoping to receive. And honestly, it's going to make you a little bit busy taking care of yourself so that you can't be so focused on how other people feel, what other people need. And then you can be receptive when they have questions, when they have needs, and you can give from a place of excess and a place of love rather than from a place of if I give, then I'll receive. All right, type three. I want you to move, or I encourage you to move, from keeping up with the Joneses, I hate that phrase, but that's the best thing I had, to focusing on how your life makes you feel. So instead of focusing on someone else's business, someone else's promotion, someone else's big house, someone else's new car, someone else's trip to Europe, and you're trying to kind of constantly keep up with that so you don't get left behind, Instead, when you notice those patterns and you notice that tendency to say, oh, that's something that I haven't achieved yet. Let me let me try and achieve it now. Just catch yourself and go, is that what I want to do? Um, I think about the people in my life, you know, who have like really big businesses, lots of team. They have like these huge launches and If I were looking at them and going, oh, I need to be running my business like that, I would be writing myself out of my own joy, my own pleasure, right? Because everybody's different. I'm not the kind of person who wants a giant team of people under me, at least not right now. Um, I like a lot of freedom, a lot of flexibility. I like to be, I like to have a low cost business that doesn't have a lot of overhead so I can have easier months if I want to. Um, These things are really important to me. So if I were trying to keep up with all of my friends who like hustle and have giant teams and are building these like big apparatuses, I would be doing something that didn't feel good to me on a daily basis. And so if you can think through, okay, I'm noticing that I'm feeling this pressure to keep up, or I'm feeling this pressure to like do more based off of the information I'm receiving from my competition, whether that competition is like your brother or another business owner or someone in your job, like someone that you feel like you're comparing yourself to. When you're noticing that sense of, I need to catch up to them or I need to surpass them, pause, Stay in your lane and focus on how you feel and how you want to feel and make sure that you're making decisions from that place. Type fours, what if we moved from living under the pressure to be significant to embracing the mundane? 
this is the pain point that I have the most empathy for in the four psyche, right? Is this pressure to not land among the average, to be different, to be set apart, to be better than, to be special, to be significant, like this intense pressure to go from beginner to savant immediately um, or ever, honestly. Like a lot of times I talk about like to begin, you have to start at bad and then you're going to have to be average. Like that's part of it. I always think like you have to trudge through average to get to great. But what if you don't ever become great? Can we live with that? And I want you to be able to because you're so much more than what you become in terms of what you do. And I think fours know this on an intrinsic level for everyone else, right? I don't think I have a four in my life who would look at me and say, you are valuable for what you produce. And what you produce isn't good enough until it's significant or um you know, riveting in some way. Instead, they're rooting for me. They're empathizing with my pain points. Um, And so it's so interesting that you kind of turn that inward toward yourself and put that pressure onto yourself to find and express that level of significance. And that finding is so interesting because you're finding it outside of yourself. And so you're, instead of seeing yourself intrinsically as significant, right, which is the goal. I mean, if there's a goal here. Um, Instead of finding yourself intrinsically significant, you're looking for what you can do, what you can accomplish, what you can achieve for someone else to look at you and say, you, you're special, you're significant, you're doing it. I choose you, you know. Instead, I want to see that when that temptation of thought arises to intentionally embrace just your day, your average day. What does it feel like to be in my life right now? Does it feel good to wake up in the morning? Am I present with how it feels to wash the dishes? The healthiest fours in my life do this so beautifully and it doesn't mean that they don't wrestle with the pressure to be significant. I I think we're all gonna be in relationship to our Enneagram types forever. Um, I'm not under the illusion that we surpass ourselves, but I do think we it gets easier, right? The sooner we catch the pattern and we make a different choice, the easier it is the next time to do the same, right? And, and this is brain science, right? It's neuropathway stuff. We've talked about this before, but it's, it's just about catching it, shifting a little. Um, you know, oh, am I ever going to be enough? You go, whoo, I'm enough right now. Let's focus on being here where I am in this moment today and just really enjoying this like average drudgery that we, we can, can perceive as drudgery or, or kind of peon tasks. Seeing those things as this like really beautiful, intricate part of being in the world, of being part of the bigger apparatus of the universe. Um, that can bring so much peace to just waking up and doing a normal day. Type five, from guarding yourself to allowing for depth of connection. 
Um, I know a lot of fives who are like, I am so social and I totally get that. But I, I do the five nature, right? If you, if you typed yourself through reading about the Enneagram types or if you had a professional type you and you didn't get type five off of like a quiz on the internet, um, there's some part of you, right, that is guarding your information, guarding your resources, guarding your energy. And at, at the best, at the, not the best, at the levels where they're allowing support, you're, you're letting people in a bit, right? You're opening up maybe strategically to only a few people, but allowing for people to not only be heard by you. Because here's the thing. Fives are not like crimogeny, uh, antisocial people. And I know some fives who are like, um, yes, I am. <laughs> um, because they find it like funny to say that. But more so, it's like a lot of fives are extremely social. Um, and like can like hang at a party longer than I can hang at a party. Um, however, I'm curious. I'm just going to like be curious. Like how often are you sharing about yourself? Like how often are you sharing what's going on in your life? How you're feeling? What's how you know, how you're experiencing the world, not what you've learned, not what you know, but how you're feeling on a deeper level, your vulnerabilities, your insecurities. Um, how often are you doing that in a way that makes you available for care? I'm going to say it again. How often are you doing that? How often are you sharing of yourself enough to where you're vulnerable and open to care for other people to care for you. Because I think a lot of times fives are like, I'm being social, but they're they're listening to other people and giving advice for them. They're offering care, but maybe they're not receiving care, right? They're not allowing room for depth of connection. That's two ways. Um, so I, I wanna encourage you to kind of open up a little let some vulnerability out so that you can let some love in. Type six, moving from loyalty at the cost of yourself to trusting how something makes you feel, right? So type six, you learn the pattern of like, I must be loyal, I must stay committed, I am a committed, trustworthy person, and I do what I'm supposed to do. Two, building a sense of self-trust that allows you to recognize some spaces aren't serving you and that maybe there are new spaces that would serve you better. Like how do you recognize when someone doesn't have your best interest at heart, even if you've known them your whole life? And how do you move from there to allowing yourself to be loved by people who maybe you haven't known as long or you're building trust with, allowing people to see you who maybe are new Additionally, allowing yourself to say, you know what, even if there isn't anyone new, I'm going to trust myself enough to know that I can handle life alone. I can be supported within myself and I don't have to stay in these spaces that no longer serve me. So consider when you recognize the pattern of like, well, there, you know, this is my, this is a person that's been in my life my whole life. It doesn't matter how I feel around them. That you check in and you go, actually, no, I can trust myself and I can listen to when something feels good and when something feels bad. 
Type seven, from running away to learning what to fight for. So type sevens, the tendency here is like when negative emotions arise, to flee, to distract yourself, to find anything else that you can focus on or talk about or think about or change the vibes. <laughs> um, so moving from that tendency to like, okay, I'm just going to like get out of this situation. So it's almost the opposite of six, right? Like sixes, I'm like, you need to learn to trust when you can leave a situation. Sevens, I'm saying you need to learn to trust when you can withstand a situation. Because everything sucks. Every job sucks. Every relationship sucks. Every friendship sucks. Like everything has something in it that is difficult. No one's perfect. No job's perfect. Nothing is perfect. It just isn't. It's all going to have flaw. Everything's going to have a little bit of conflict. Everything's going to have difficulty. So it's about figuring out which difficulty can I sustain? Which difficulty is worth it for me to stick with so that I can have the benefits of being here or being with this person or being at this job. So consider, you know, how to tell what's worth fighting for or focusing instead. When you feel that sense of like, I want to change my name and run away or I want, I need to get out of here or I need to quit this job right now. Catch yourself and go, whew, is this a job worth fighting for? And maybe you have to make a list of all the pros and cons. Maybe you need to, what I do is I often make these decisions. I put a deadline down and I say, if I'm still feeling this way, March 13th of 2024, then I can quit. And that gives me a lot of time to kind of move through the emotions and not make a decision out of an emotional place, but instead out of a place of objectivity. So I'm not I'm not doing it in a responsive or a reactive way, but doing it from a place of intentionality. All right, type eight, moving from defense to acceptance. So type eights, when this is like, I thought about you guys a lot when I thought about how, who we think we have to be, right? So when you think about who you think you have to be, it's like on defense. I have to be defending others. I have to be defending myself. I have to be defending what I believe is right. Kind of always on the defensive. And to some degree, that is necessary, right? For society, we need people who are willing to defend. Yet, when overused or used at the wrong time, maybe with a partner who's just trying to like love you, or maybe a partner who has needs that they're trying to express to you, um, defense isn't always the right choice. So how do we move from defense to acceptance? How can we pause and go, whew, okay, I'm noticing myself feel defensive. I need to take some time and then come back when I can come to this from a place of acceptance. Come to this from a place of believing you, believing that there are other perspectives here and not needing to constantly be on guard. So how can I put my guard down for a minute and operate from a place of what if they're right what if they have a valid point? What would I do then? All right, type nine, moving from passive to proactive, right? So nines, right, in your childhood, you learned that it's better if you don't exist, that everything's easier if you just don't speak up, keep the peace, don't, don't rock the boat. And so you learn this pattern of like, don't show up. Keep not showing up. And... We've heard it used, you know, talked about before, like moving from being a peacekeeper, right? Someone who just 
kind of like doesn't speak up, doesn't make a big difference, but doesn't make a fuss to being a peacemaker, someone who steps in, who advocates, who fights for, who defends themselves, who takes a stand, um, moving from you know, intentionally pursuing a relationship, intentionally pursuing time with a partner or creative projects or things that are fulfilling for you. Like moving out of that passive life happens to me place to the I happen to life space. I'm going to impact the world. I'm not going to wait for the world to just kind of toss me around. I'm going to step in and toss the world around a little bit. Be an active participant in my my relationships in the workplace. You know, the nines that I know who do this really well, it's like they have the best of both worlds. They're doing this proactive act of, of love and giving and action. And at the same time, they're receiving, you know, they're coming from this, this nine place that's really safe for other people. You know, um, Dr. Egerton at the conference, she said, you know, nines of all the types are looking out for everyone. Their focus is on peace. You know, they're focused on the good of everybody. So whose voice do we need to hear the most is the one who's advocating for everybody. And so the more you can step in and hold that space of like, my voice is really important, actually. I'm going to step in and I'm going to choose to to be here wholly. All right, Um, so yeah, like I said, this could be a whole series. Um, I hope it serves as a bit of a tough love reminder that you are so much more than your Enneagram type. You are a whole breathing human being with complex experiences, complex dynamics, and yes, maybe your Enneagram type resonates for you so much, but at the same time, you are not, you and it are not the same. It's a coping mechanism, it's a thing you put on, it's a way that you protect yourself, And you get to choose a different way of being. You don't have to live out those patterns forever. We get to choose how we show up in the world each and every day. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here. And as always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you. I will see you Friday for the next one. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.